We're going to be reading out of uh, John chapter 1, verses 6 through 13. And it's on page 1052 of your pew Bible, if you'd like to read along. There was a man sent from God whose name was John. He came as a witness to bear witness about the light that all might believe through him. He was not the light, but, became, but came to bear witness about the light. The true light, which gives light to everyone, was coming into the world. He was in the world, and the world was made through him, yet the world did not know him. He came to his own, and his people did not receive him. But to all who did receive him, who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God, who were born not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of the man, but of God. Heavenly Father, Lord, I just pray that you would use these words to uh, uh, strengthen us, build us up in faith of you, especially at this uh, Christmas season, Father. I just pray that you would uh, just uh, place your words on uh, our pastor's mouth to share and, and uh, just open our ears to hear. We thank you, Lord. It's in Jesus' name. Amen. You be seated. Thank you, Dave. Well, good morning. Would you pray with me? Father, what we know not, teach us. What we have not, give us. What we are not, make us. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, this morning we are going to be in our second of our Advent series messages as we're starting out the Gospel of John. Um, last week we clearly saw that Jesus is God. This week we see that Jesus saves. He saves his people from their sin through the proclamation of the gospel, but he doesn't save everyone. He saves those who believe the gospel. Look with me as Dave read already in verses six through eight again. It says, there was a man sent from God whose name was John. He came as a witness to bear witness about the light that all might believe through him. He was not the light, but came to bear witness about the light. And so lest we get confused by this man named John, this is John the Baptist, not John the son of Zebedee. John the writer of this gospel, John uh, son of Zebedee, never refers to himself directly in this gospel. But in all four gospels, John the Baptist, John the Baptist is identified as the forerunner of Jesus. But John the Baptist's role is emphatically different, as John helps us to see, than the role of Jesus. He was not the light, but came to bear witness about the light. And I think it's important, and I think it would be helpful to take some time to recount a little bit of Jewish Israel's history 
to get up to this point. So if you were to look at your Old Testament, the last book of the Old Testament, as Tyler opened up in chapter 2, right before the Gospel of Matthew is Malachi. In Malachi chapter 4, the last chapter of your Old Testament, this takes place in verse 5, this prophecy of Malachi. He says, Behold, I will send you Elijah, the prophet, before the great and awesome day of the Lord comes. So these are 400 silent years between Malachi and the gospel when Jesus comes to earth where people of Israel waited. We sang a song, O Come, O Come, Emmanuel. It is a dirge. It is a sad song where the people of Israel, that's who we're supposed to be singing as, are waiting for their coming Messiah. We, as people waiting for Jesus' second coming, are singing the same types of words. Oh Lord, please return. We can't wait long enough for this two weeks to flatten the curve to end in COVID. Imagine these people who have waited 400 years. I'm assuming that some of them had lost heart. Some of them had doubted that Jesus would even come. And some of them probably gave up on even waiting. And Malachi says that this forerunner would be Elijah. In a couple of weeks, we'll see that the Pharisees had sent messengers to ask John the Baptist, are you Elijah? And he says he is not. He denies it. But what is clear is that John the Baptist does the things that are described of this Elijah-type person. John the Baptist is not Elijah, but an Elijah-like figure who will prepare the way of the Lord. And John the Baptist came, sent by Jesus, the king, to prepare the way for the king. Another prophecy. Isaiah chapter 40 says this in verse 3. A voice cries, in the wilderness, prepare the way of the Lord. Make straight in the desert a highway for our God. Every valley shall be lifted up, every mountain and hill be made low. The uneven ground shall become level and the rough places a plain. John the Baptist, his coming was to be a comfort for God's people. And although he spoke different words, it was in the tenderness, it was in tenderness towards Jerusalem. When an ancient king would come to town, he would send messengers and he would send workers ahead of him to prepare the way. They would make the travel as easy as possible for the king. The king potentially would be riding a horse or even maybe carried. And if there were valleys or dips, it would get a little bit wobbly. And so they would send people ahead to fill in valleys or they would take over mounds and level them off to make them more easy to travel on. Maybe they should send some people like that today or over this past week to fill in some of the holes that last this December mud season made in our roads. The servants would level these to, uh, roads to make them less crooked and easiest for the king to arrive. Someone would also go before the king and he would come into the town and he would pronounce and proclaim. It would be like an evangelist 
shouting the good news. The king is coming. And John is doing the work to prepare for the king's arrival. And the gospel writer, John, reminds us that this man was sent by God. He was a witness. He was not the light. He was preparing the way. And so think about it like this, where John the Baptist is kind of like a mirror. A mirror doesn't produce any light on its own, but it reflects the light that is shining. The one who is coming. Look at this reflection is what John is saying. Get ready for the king's arrival. And verse 7, it reminds us that the purpose of John being sent out was to help the people in his hearing to believe. This witness language is legal terminology. Like a courtroom setting, it's not he said, she said. It's witnesses that bear witness to what is taking place. The Mosaic law required oftentimes, many times, where two witnesses or three witnesses would be necessary to prove someone guilty. Even today in our own court system, having multiple witnesses of a crime kind of sets the fate of what is going to happen in the courtroom. John the Baptist is one witness, but there are other witnesses in the Gospel of John. We'll see many more, the disciples, the other members of the 12. Nicodemus, the woman at the well, the blind man, all of them are witnesses. And even the gospel writer himself, John, is a witness. I will remind you again, the purpose of the book in John chapter 20, if you wanna turn to the end. Now Jesus did many other signs in the presence of the disciples which are not written in this book, but these are written so that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that by believing you may have life in his name. John is bearing witness by writing these things down for the church, for you and for me. John bore witness so all might believe through him. So all might believe through John the Baptist's message about Jesus. John's testimony is in who Jesus is and what he has done that produces faith for those who hear. Friends, the gospel is relevant and applicable to all. And so we must sow seeds to all. We must sow seeds like John the Baptist, proclaiming and trusting that some of the seeds that we sow, God would delight in giving and bearing fruit in. And not all believed in the message of John, but many did. John is not the light, but he came to bear witness about the light. John is the agent of belief. He's the one opening his mouth. The object of belief is what that message is about. It's about Jesus. And the means by which the proclamation go out, the, the voice of the one speaking up as people put their faith and their trust in Jesus. Friends, Jesus saves. He saves his people through, from their sins through the proclamation of the gospel. Jesus saves by putting faith in his name. Jesus saves by us opening our mouths and proclaiming the gospel to others. It won't be on the screen, but a couple books in your Bible over in Romans chapter 10. It's a long passage. I will read it 
for us. I think it helps to color this for us of our role in proclaiming the gospel. Starting in verse 9. Paul the Apostle says, If you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. For with the heart one believes and is justified, and with the mouth one confesses and is saved. For the scripture says, Everyone who believes in him will not be put to shame. For there is no distinction between Jew and Greek, for the same Lord is Lord of all, bestowing his riches on all who call on him. For everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. And this is where it picks up on a similar idea. How then will they call on him and whom they have not believed? And how are they to believe in him of whom they've never heard? And how are they to hear without someone preaching, not just from this pulpit, and how are they to preach unless they are sent? As it is written, how beautiful are the feet of those who preach the good news. And next week and next Saturday is Christmas. And you may have people in your home. You may go to someone's home that don't believe the gospel. You may have brothers and sisters in Christ who may even be doubting the gospel or struggling. And guess what? God will place you in that home with those specific people for the very purpose of proclaiming the gospel to them. The good news that God saves sinners through the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus. God may put some people in your path to invite to our Christmas Eve service Friday evening. Or you might spend some time with them and invite them to come the next day, the day after Christmas on the 26th as we gather again as God's people, the day after Christmas. You will, Lord willing, always hear the gospel from this pulpit as someone opens up God's word and preaches from the Bible. But the primary responsibility to preach the gospel to your friends, to your family, to your coworkers, to the person that you are pumping gas next to, is you. God has put you in their paths, in their lives, so that you would proclaim the gospel to them. And friends, Christmas is an easy time to do that. Christmas is about Jesus. And life comes through Jesus by believing in his name. Life is not about good food and presents, but rather through Jesus and Jesus alone. As one commentator said, all who have ever come to faith are indirectly dependent on this opening proclamation of the identity and saving person, purpose of Jesus Messiah or Jesus Christ. So friends, Jesus saves. He saves his people from their sin, from the proclamation of the gospel, but he doesn't save everyone. Let's look at verse nine. The true light which gives light to everyone was coming into the world. He was in the world and the world was made through him. Yet the world did not know him. He came to his own and his own people did not receive him. This true light, friends, is an everlasting light. It is a light that is eternal. 
This true light has appeared and this light will never fade. It's present for all to see who hear the gospel. And to validate this point further, in John 6, Jesus refers to himself as the true bread from heaven. True bread that will last forever as opposed to the manna that you might be familiar with in the Exodus or in uh, the Old Testament where the people of Israel complained and they didn't have enough food and God sent bread daily for them that they could take and use and eat but they could only keep it for a day or it would rot. And so this true bread, which is Jesus, will never perish. It is eternal. And the light that John the Baptist reflects is a mirror to show himself, sorry, the light that John the Baptist reflects in the mirror will show up himself and will never disappoint. Jesus himself will show up and the light and the truth that is projecting from him, friends, will never fail. So Jesus as the light, or Jesus is the light and Jesus gives light to everyone as John says. The light has come in the incarnation of Jesus. And when Jesus God took on flesh, the light came into the world and manifested himself for all to see. But in verse 10, not all believe. Not knowing Jesus means not believing in his name. Not believing in his name means not believing in his work. And not believing in his work means no eternal life. This verse is contrasted later on in, Jap or in the Gospel of John in verse 17, or chapter 17, verse three. Jesus says this in his high priestly prayer, and this is eternal life, that they know you, the only true God, and Jesus Christ, whom you have sent. Friends, it's not enough to know about Jesus. We must know him to believe in him and what he came to do on our behalf. In COVID, there's been some studies that have been done and there has been an exodus of churches of God's people, supposedly God's people in the United States. In 2020, 22% of adults who used to attend church stopped. In 2019, only 14% of adults said they never went to church. In 2020, that number jumped to 53%. This does not say anything about being a Christian. It just says who goes to church. But Christians, we delight to be together as God's people. We had a family gathering last week. Many of you said it was a great time to fellowship with one another, to enjoy food together, to see what God is doing in this church. But friends, we do not live in a cultural Christianity any longer where the world will just show up at our door and love to be with us. Vermont really hasn't changed much, I don't think, in COVID. People who are at church will continue to go to church, but the true church is becoming more and more apparent than compared to those outside of the church. And we know that some just won't believe. Romans, eight, or Romans 1, verse 18 says this, For the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men 
who by their unrighteousness suppress the truth. For what can be known about God is plain to them, for because God has shown it to them. For his invisible attributes, namely his eternal power and divine nature, have been clearly perceived ever since the creation of the world and the things that have been made, so they are without excuse. Romans 1 shows us that we can know about God by looking around, seeing his creation, taking a breath. How did all of this beauty happen? Who created this wonderful world that we live in? God did. But knowledge of God is not enough to save us from our sins. Salvation only comes by believing in Jesus and his work on our behalf. And here we meet in the Gospel of John the first time the word cosmos or world is used. Jesus was in the world. The world was made through him. Later we'll see that God so loved the world. He was in the world. The world was made through him. The world did not know him. And what John is showing us is that Jesus being in the world should, give it, should have given his people ample reason to believe in his name. Being created by Jesus, it should have pointed them to his power when he arrived and ultimately his power when he rose from the dead, but it didn't. And so this is a sad verse. And this is what theologians call general revelation, revelation that is available to God by virtue of just being alive in God's world, knowing about God. But general revelation, friends, is not enough to save. But not only does God have general revelation, but the Jews had God's word to make them aware of what Jesus would do when he would return. And some still don't understand. Some don't understand because of their hardness of heart. Isaiah 6, 9. And he said to Isaiah, Go and say to this people, keep on hearing, but do not understand. Keep on seeing, but do not perceive. Some will reject it, even though they have seen Jesus face to face, seen him act, see him speak to them, have God's word to remind them. But this is what God said, what would happen. Jesus came to his own. As the word, he owns it all. The world, the cosmos has rejected Jesus. He came to his own people as well, the nation of Israel, and they have as well rejected him. The prophets of Israel, they tried to warn the nation, but they also tried to warn other nations. There's five of the prophets that would go and preach to nations other than Israel, like Jonah would go to Nineveh. And this prophecy involved prediction, looking forward, and it's done in the context of declaring God's warnings and exhortations of God's covenant people of how they are to live. And the prophets preached to the nation and they prayed for the nation. They talked to God about God to God's people, but they also talked to God, or sorry, they talked to God's people about God and having them to repent, but they also talked to God about God's people, giving them, asking God to give them repentance, to live life according to God's way. They were interceding for God's people, but some still rejected. Friends, we need God's grace to believe. We need God's grace to change. We need God's grace to repent. And it should have been so blatantly obvious 
to God's people. But because of sin, some still didn't understand and some still didn't receive. But that goes back to our previous point, right? Our role is to sow seeds. And God gives grace to some to believe. Let's not just proclaim though. Let's pray and intercede that God would delight to save some of them. This may just be discouraging for you. That family member, I've told them over and over again and they just won't believe. Why should I tell them again? My coworker, she's never gonna believe. I'll be wasting my time. May I encourage you? You look in a mirror. Someone told you about the gospel and you believed. You used to have the same hard heart as those people did. And you doubted, but now you believe. May that encourage your doubts to proclaim to them. Think about the Apostle Paul. He murdered Christians. He persecuted God's church. And Jesus met him. And Paul believed the gospel. I don't think any of us had or will have that resume. Friends, our role is to proclaim and be faithful. God's role is to save people from their sins. I love this quote. It's in Marty's office by Charles Spurgeon. It says, if sinners be damned, at least, at least let them leap to hell over our dead bodies. And if they perish, let them perish with our arms wrapped around their knees, imploring them to stay. If hell must be filled, let it be filled in the teeth of our exertions and let not one go unwarned or unprayed for. Friends, God saves his people from their sin through the proclamation of the gospel. He doesn't save everyone. Some will reject, but some will receive. He saves those who believe the gospel. Let's look at verse 12. But who all do who did receive him, who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God, who were born not of blood, nor the will of the flesh, nor of will of man, but of God. Verses 10 and 11 in John chapter one are grim. But verses 12 to 13, it softens the rejection of the word by indicating as in Old Testament times, there remains a believing remnant. Even in the midst of God's people being blind to God's covenant, Jesus, he still came. He came to his own people and they rejected him, but God's true people are those who believe. They always have been. God's true people are not an ethnic people. God's true people are a believing people. God's true people are those who receive Jesus. And receiving means to acknowledge or place your faith in or pledge your allegiance to something. It's not just to acknowledge this Christmas that Jesus is here, that Christmas is here. We gotta get the lights out. We gotta pull those boxes out of the shed. We gotta put those decorations up. Oh, oh, oh. And we gotta talk about Jesus a couple times. Jesus came. It's the reason why we do everything in this season. One pastor ate a great list of how we receive Jesus in response to this verse. Is he comes to you as savior, welcome 
his salvation. If he comes to you as leader, welcome his leadership. If he comes to you as provider, welcome his provision. If he comes to you as counselor, welcome his counsel. If he comes to you in authority, welcome his authority. If he comes to you as king, you welcome his rule. Those who receive Jesus believe in Jesus, and those who receive Jesus accept him as Lord of their life in everything, as a guide for their path, like a good flashlight. The word is a light to our feet, a guide to our path, and that has come in the person and work of Jesus. And those who receive and believe in Jesus, Jesus gives the right to become children of God. And rights as God's children are not or are like rights that we give our children. Rights as God's children give us full legal authority and claim to the exalted title of child of God. I read a book recently and he's, he said over and over, your majesty. I don't ever think like I am majesty or I'm part of a kingly people of God. Children, when they were born, they were given the last name Sellers because they were part of our family. It's not a noble name. I'm sure somebody sold something stupid way back in the day and thought it would be cute to add an A at the end as opposed to an E. But they are part of my family. But the last name provides my children with privileges and rights that come as my children. They're welcome in my home without knocking. When Kristen and I pass, they will get our stuff. They get my attention before others do, except when they ask if I will buy them a horse. There's a positive outcome for the children of God and the ministry of the word. We are not God's children by nature, but those who do believe, those whom Jesus saves, we do become God's children through adoption. Even though we are not part of the family, we become part of the family through adoption. Jacob and Maria here, and they were adopted. I asked them for permission. Um, but they're grays. We only know them as grays, right? They are children of Chris and April. They have other family who are not grays, but they are adopted as grays, and that will never be taken away from them. God's people are those who are by birth, are, are not those who are by birth or blood or the will of man, but they are born of God. And John reminds the readers, salvation comes from God alone. God saves his people from their sin through the proclamation of the gospel, but he doesn't save everyone. He saves those who believe the gospel. And believing in his name, friends, is a gift. Fallen men and women are not children of God by nature. Salvation is only a privilege of those who have faith in Jesus. Verse 13 is a reminder that salvation, friends, is only of God. And believing in the name of Jesus is a gift that only comes from God. Being a child of blood or the flesh makes one a child, but only a child by way, by view of creation. General revelation. A true child of God is a child of God. 
Those who put their faith in Jesus by what's revealed in special revelation, by what's revealed in here, which includes the gospel. Being a child of God is not a quality possessed by all the Israelites, but rather to those who believe in the word. Being a child of God is not a quality possessed by all those who attend church on a Sunday or who give or who serve. Being a child of God is reserved for only those who believe the gospel. And we as God's children are born not of blood nor the will of man, but of God. We are children of God by believing in the name of Jesus. And friends, it is all a gift. There is no conversion without new birth and there is no new birth without conversion. And this is an act of God on our behalf. It is entirely the work of God through the power of the Spirit, through the work of the Son, for you and for me. God saves his people from their sin through the proclamation of the gospel. But he doesn't save everyone. He saves those who believe the gospel. So this Christmas, this Advent, consider the question, do you believe? Do you receive him and allow him to be Lord of your life? Even in the challenging things he calls us to or the circumstances that we are in. My prayer is that if you don't believe, that you, would remain, you wouldn't remain in unbelief. God saves, and he saves through the proclamation of the gospel, the good news that God saves sinners through the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus. For the wages of sin is death. The penalty for sin against a holy God is death. If we don't believe, we deserve death. But God has given us grace. It's grace to hear the gospel, and so let's pray that he would give grace towards many to believe the gospel. For Jesus came to live here on earth in Christmas, but he also came to die. He came to live a perfect life, a life without sin, a life that you and I could never live. He, he came to die a sinner's death, a death that you and I deserved to die. And he was buried. And after three days, he rose himself from the dead on his own so that he could give us a newness of life. We were originally meant and created to live a life without sin, a life that our sister, Pat Blessing, gets to experience even more today. By believing in the gospel, we are children of God. Put your faith in Jesus, friends. Receive him, follow him. Let's be proclaimers of the gospel ourselves. Here in this dark area, this world desperately needs to hear the gospel. They are lost and dying. You never know whom you proclaim the gospel to. Might become your brother or sister in Christ one day. Leave the work up to God. Our work is to be faithful to sow seeds of gospel proclamation. And so as always, we will close with worship. We will sing and worship a God who deserves our worship because he has saved us from our sin. We will worship as his children. We will worship because of the gospel. We will worship our great and mighty God who has given us great and good gifts 
The most important gift being our salvation for those who put their trust in Jesus. And so let's worship our Heavenly Father now for we are His, for what He has done and who He is for adopting us as His sons and His daughters. And I like to save more songs at the end of our service so that we can respond to the things that we hear in the message to God, that we can give Him the glory that only He is due. It's our response to being a child of God, to worship. So would you pray with me? <sighs> Father, we thank you that you sent your son to come in lowly circumstances to your enemies, to some like us, for us. God, we thank you that he was faithful to live a perfect life, to die a substitutionary death in our place on the cross for our sins, and that he rose to give us a newness of life. God, would that always be on our lips? Would that always be in our minds? Would that always be proclaimed from our mouths? For you are a great God, and you delight to call people to yourself. You delight to adopt sinners like us as your children. And so God, we desire to worship you right now for you are a great and mighty and good loving father who delights to give good gifts to your children. The greatest gift that we've received is that of your son. We pray this in Jesus' name, amen.